The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners this morning. This, uh, this title of the message today is Vision for the Psychological Area of Life. What affects our spiritual vision and life the most? I mean, just think in the most practical way you can, and you're thinking about your spiritual vision, and oftentimes, for me, that is in worship. What stops me from closing my eyes or having my eyes open? It doesn't make any difference. And, and being able to spiritually see right through all of the earthly things and set my affections on things above and literally see the very life and kingdom of God in heaven in my worship. I mean, when I worship Christ, I see into heaven. Now, I don't see all the little details or whatever, but I mean, my mind just goes way beyond earthly things and began to experience the presence of Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. What gets in the way of that? See, that's spiritual vision. If you go through stress and heartache and suffering and stuff like that, and you are affected in your worship, that is a check for you and me. But if that vision stays clear in the midst of that stress, then that is a good sign. So what would you say is the answer to that question? Selfishness? Okay. What would get in the way of us having good spiritual vision? It is. Unforgiveness? Rejection? Certainly gets in the way, doesn't it? Whether you're doing the rejecting or you are receiving rejection. Arguments, conflicts, suffering, which all produce anxiety. Remember when Paul said, be anxious for nothing? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. See, anxiety is an absolute critical piece that Christians, Indoor Christians, need to understand is the greatest intrusion on vision. Because when that anxiety starts to happen, it turns inwardly and starts to bring destruction. And it certainly is going to affect spiritual vision. So here's what God says about this. If we summarized it, what I did is if you remember this slide, for those of you who have been following this series, I grabbed it from a message we taught on two years ago. Remember when we went through our series on brokenness? I mean, it was like, if I remember correctly, about 12 messages on brokenness that we covered. This was one of those messages within that primary message on brokenness that God reminded me, which I went back and got this slide and dropped it in here, and that is arrogance affects vision. This comes from the Hebrew, and I'm going to show you the the Hebrew in a minute. But arrogance affects vision. People with pride take actions from the vision of their own minds and rub their flesh in the face of Jesus Christ. Now this is something that we brought out two years ago. Blocking the vision of prophets. Why would the Old Testament, the Hebrew, connection be of arrogance and vision, be with prophets? What's that? Okay. It is impossible, actually, to block the vision of a prophet until there is a turning of taking the, the self-vision and rubbing it in Old Testament-wise, which we're going to see in the Hebrew here real quick, rubbing it in the face of God. What did they do to Jeremiah? Something about a cage. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, historically, it's in, it's in uh, history that they did this. They stuck him in a cage and hoisted him up where everybody could see him and 
Okay. See, that's, I want you to make a simple connection there because this vision message that we're going to be covering is so incredibly significant to keep your head clear vision-wise of seeing God in all things. This is a critical piece. Or this thing, as we're going to talk about here in a couple slides, hopelessness settles in and you're pretty much useless at that point. Once the hope is sucked from you, you're pretty much useless at that point. Blocking the vision of the prophet. So putting Jeremiah in this cage and hoisting the cage up just in the community so that, you know, the community can come around and mock the prophet, it will block the vision of the people. And that's the comforting fact that God gave me this week. Not to make me feel good in any way. He was wanting me to see. This message, keep in mind, this blew me away even yesterday as I was making sure all the slides were ready for today, was, was written three months ago. And God is saying, remember this. Now, Jeremiah was the longest living prophet. His ministry was 40 years. Most prophets didn't make it past a few years before this happened. In other words, you're not alone and it's not going to stop with you. It will continue to affect many prophets throughout the land for generations to come. Now here's the truth of the matter. People of humility and brokenness take joy and vision in the engrafting into Christ and being formed and newly created in Christ, a living and abiding in him and growing and bringing forth fruit through him in order to advance life from within. So the bottom line is, in order to do what we talked about last Sunday of this fruit, Actually, last Sunday was the victory message. Before that was the fruit. So you got fruit, which brings you the victory, obviously. Through the victory, your vision stays clear. And it's impossible to have that if this is functioning. It is possible if it continues under this functioning. Now I want to show you something. Hebrew for vision. Chet, Zayin, and He. And if we cut and paste, these are the, the starting from um, the modern on both ends. This is how it looks in modern Hebrew today. These are the pictorial phases that it went through, Hebrew went through. I just simply cut out one of the oldest pictorials, put it over here, Lined it up with its proper word. Chet means fence. Kind of looks like fence, doesn't it? And then we have Zayin. This was actually a weapon, believe it or not. Very wicked weapon. If you go online and, and type in Zayin, you're going to see, even through some of the dark ages, this weapon was used, but it was a device you held onto. No matter which way you swung this thing, someone's going to get diced. Very wicked weapon. It's beyond a sword. And then we have He, which is, remember the guy standing up, basically revealing, and he's like the prophet. He's the one that's not afraid to lift his hands up before the living God. So, what comes from is where the Hebrew people get this concept. What comes from the prophets? What comes from Adam? It's what comes from the new Adam? It's what comes from in worship. Very powerful word in the Hebrew. All of these are. So here's what basically what it means. When you see the fence cut, to see beyond the fence. To prophesy, perceive, or behold. Vision is directly connected to the prophets. Because when you brought one of these prophets into your town, 
they're able to see beyond what the norm is for that generation, that country, whatever it is, they're all caught up in the muck of the politics of that particular nation. They're able to see beyond the fence. So what are they actually seeing? Yeah, but they're going beyond that. They do see that, even beyond what man is seeing it. Okay. Aren't they actually seeing? I mean, take Jeremiah as an example. He is really a good example of this message. Is that he was seeing, basically, with his own eyes, mentally, what God was going to do. And what was between him and what was about to come for, the, for Judah... Unbelievable what he had to face. So on this end, he's 13 years old, and God comes to him and says, Oh, Jeremiah, before, before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you as a prophet to tear down nations and to build up nations. 13 years old, this kid's hearing this. And then, all of a sudden, the revelatory, revelatory message started coming through Jeremiah at a very young age, and he started projecting these revelatory messages to a country that never did get it. To this day, they don't get it. They will. The prophet's words never rest. Do you understand that? They never rest, no matter who they are. Whether it's Jeremiah, or you have such a minor prophet like Hosea. They never rest. They always stay engaged in the end-time prophecies of Revelation. Revelation. The last book in the entire Bible is the Hebrew word picture of a prophet with his hands up. Right here. Che. To reveal. Now if that's not a little bit mind bending for you guys. It's way beyond my understanding. I had a theologian engaging with me through this week on some pretty tough issues. And, and um, he wanted to know where. He didn't believe that darkness is in the New Testament. And I was kind of engaging him into, you know, the truth a bit. This guy knows, you know, the truth. But he had gone so far in grace, he had lost sight of the fact of the truth within grace. So to make a statement that there is no darkness in the New Testament, pretty much erases the book of Revelation. In fact, it erases a lot of things. So having someone not be able to see through the fence or to literally cut that fence down so that person can see through what they're focused on to see what the real message is can literally stop or block his ability to minister with full vision. Could it not? It definitely can. So let's break this down even more. Seeing is believing. At least that's what I've been told. You probably were told that too when you were a kid. But after I came to accept the life of Christ within me, I realized something rather mind-bending. That what I see is not really, is not reality, but rather a twisted view or vision of the enemy's complexities and graven imagery. Remember when, I believe it was uh, Paul, when he said, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. So when I'm in the midst of a conflict, I, this anxiety thing, to own the humanness of we are human, but yet to Say, God, cut the fence down. I've got to see 
farther down the road than this graven imagery. I promise you this day before the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit that indwells you, he will reveal that truth to you. As I was pleading with God in many private moments this week over this whole situation, the conclusion was very simple. Is that people in general, even my, pe my people, this is God saying this to me, even my people hate those who see through their flesh. I too, everyone, every indwell believers, when it comes to this decision of should I have the real issue addressed or should I set up a graven imagery of what I can get others to think is going on? It's blocking the vision of the prophet. And that's when I had to make some decisions of not forgiveness, but of trust. You know, last night we went out to dinner for Jess's birthday and, and I told them how comfortable I am with my back to the wall. But I thought it was for my hearing. And later the Lord revealed to me how much that has been built into my life of keeping my back to the wall because of the wounding I've experienced. But at the same time, God is saying, I don't want you using this as an excuse. It has to be embraced. So that fence continue, can continue to be cut down by this weak, frail vessel that God has chosen to have foresight into things beyond the fence. And it's not me. All of us have spiritual gifting. To see beyond the fence. Satan has been working for 20, working 24-7 for almost 7,000 years to form Christian leaders that block the vision of Christ's view through the indwelt believer. So here's the kookiness about this. It's not even, you know, putting on the clear vision of the Holy Spirit. It's not even so that I can have the clear vision. The truth of the exchange life in this is that it's Christ in me that demands no blockage but clear vision through you as a believer. Through me as a believer. It isn't about my vision. It's not about my opinion. It's clear vision through Christ. So it's actually squelching the Holy Spirit to be blocked by Satan's ploys of distracting or clogging or blocking the view of Christ in you. We are participants of Christ's view through us. Now I'll show this in a diagrammical form. Those of you who are listening online, these are very powerful diagrams. I would really encourage you to go back to the library, click on the PDF that says PowerPoint, and uh, scroll down until you see these three diagrams. They are going to clearly communicate three primary individuals. The natural man, which is the one we're looking at right now. The natural man walking in the flesh. They're unsaved. The next diagram I'll be showing is a spiritual man walking in the spirit. And the final one I'm going to show you is the spiritual man who is saved walking after the flesh. They can't be in the flesh anymore. Here's the first one, natural man walking in the flesh. To the left here we have the world. And we got this cute little picture of Satan. In fact, you want to hear something ironic that God reminded me of when I was designing the diagram? Is that Satan isn't even that ugly. Uh, that should jar your mind a little bit. 
we have painted this image of Satan that he's this red-horned, you know, demonic-looking creature. And the truth being said, he's beautiful in appearance. He is perfect in appearance. In fact, God went on to describe him as jewels and, 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 and stones of beauty. The Antichrist is going to be the best looking dude you have probably ever seen. Someone please tell me what Christ looked like. Unbecoming in appearance. That is an actual verse for those of you wondering. If you want to know where it is, I don't know. But we can find it for you. Jesus was unbecoming in appearance. Ugly. Isaiah 53. Yeah, I think it is too. It's reinforced in the gospel. He was ugly. So here the Antichrist is beautiful. Okay, what's, what's going on here? Should tell us a lot. So he's, this cartoon is even uglier than he is. And this external influence is coming in. This demonic vision. Vision is not a godly word, folks. It's a word. So you can have a worldview that really stinks like the enemy, or you can have a worldview that smells like the aroma of Jesus Christ. As unbecoming as he is. So this external influence comes through our five senses. This is our body. And a part of our body is three parts to every cell. A part of man as in general has three parts. Body, soul, spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is proof of that for, the, for those of you who are dichotomous. Everything seems to happen in threes. DK is working on a, a sermon here about the Trinity. Hopefully I'm not, I won't tell the message. But the significance from the Hebrew of the letter three and the preservation of the cords that are needed to preserve the prophets and to preserve the gospel, the Holy of Holies, from this whole concept of closing the gaps to protect the power of God's holy place. Demonic vision is critical for the enemy. Graven imagery. Graven vision. Where do you think the term graven comes from? It's in the Latin. There's always definition within the word. Remember that. Grave. Death. It comes in here, since this person is as dead as a doorknob, you have the old nature, which is in 100% subjection to Satan. The flesh is the mirrored image of Satan. The spirit of the living God is the mirrored image of Christ. You with me? The old nature is the mirrored image of Satan. When Satan is influencing an unbeliever, he sees himself. And that's why it works. That's why evil is almost promised to him that it will work. Because he sees himself, the old nature of that unsaved person is the reflection of him. And oftentimes it looks just as pretty as he is. Good flesh, righteousness that is destructive. He comes in with this influence since he has direct access. Nothing can stop him from tempting this person. Nothing can stop him. He's tempting his own vessel. When Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, For you are of your father, Satan. There is no greater insult to a self-righteous person. For Jesus to, to pierce through that fence and say, for you are of your father Satan. You think you're living the truth, but you're living a lie. 
You see, this is 100% guaranteed success for evil. So he plants this sin inside the conscious mind. And it rolls around in there. And as it's kind of rolling around in there, you've got internal fluence, Adamic nature, external fluence, satanic nature. They're working together, confirming each other. And you start building this conscious idea. And then when you fall asleep at night, it falls into the subconscious mind and it starts to become a part of your belief system. You want to know why you sleep at night? Because I can guarantee you, you could have been made like the angels, like Christ today, not when he was here on earth, not needing to sleep. We could have been made that way. But we weren't. Our sleep is the seventh hour. We are commanded to rest. We are to go to bed early and we're to get up early. It is that time of the Trinity of man where we are to be obedient to rest. So sleeping dissolves pretty much. In fact, this is an actual biological provable thing. This line between what goes on down here and what goes on up here is what they call the cortex. And, it, and they, they have proof that it actually thins out when you sleep. And during the day it's thicker. Higher, higher control. But when you sleep, it thins out. And the memories from deep down in the recesses of your mind and the stuff that happened during the day, they all kind of mix together. And then when you wake up out of that REM sleep, that's why they call it rapid eye movement, it's your mind searching. And it's trying to file this stuff away, but if you have a restless mind and you went to bed without... Resolving this stuff in your mind, it just gets all moving around like this. You start dreaming about grandma up in a tree trying to avoid a snake. Where did that come from? Then you wake up. And if there's anxiety and unrest in here because you're unsaved, that's a good thing to check. Well, we got to talk about the saved person having that unrest. Fact is that Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are on the outside of this person. They can sense him being close to him, but they're on the outside. Soul, mind, will, and emotions are easily controlled by this. Spirit, unregenerate. It's like a generator from the Latin. What provides power? It's off. It's dead before God. It's off. And you can't turn this thing on no matter how much a self-righteous creature tries to get you to turn it on. It's off. He's your father. He's the devil. He's a liar. And he's going to lie to you about good things, not bad things. When man helps and provides additional evil for evil is when it gets dark. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. But Satan, by his lonesome, loves using righteousness of God right from the core of God's hand. Eve, have you ever considered that you can determine who is good and who is evil? Why didn't he just show some kind of satanic Halloween image to her and scare her to death? It's not how he works. So, let's take a look at the spiritual man. This diagram shows us, and this is uh, repentance or REP-100-A if you're hunting for it in your manual. Spiritual man walking in the spirit, in the spirit, as the natural man walks in 
the flesh. The external influence that Satan continues doesn't change for a saved person or an unsaved saved or unsaved person. It's the same. He's evil, he knows it, and he has one point of entrance. Five senses. Not every unbeliever becomes a, a Satan worshiper. Not every unbeliever becomes possessed by a devil. True? Choices have to be made. If you're unsaved, you can become a really, really, really evil person by choices, adding to the evil. Mankind is a little bit more destructive than you realize. If we contribute and add to the already existing evil, things can get really wacky. But the same thing works in the Spirit of Christ. We can make decisions to join in on the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that will produce unbelievable responses in people's lives. Or we can lay low and stay in the closet. This external demonic vision is being forced in through the five senses of this indwelt believer now. Old man has been crucified. The Trinity is now living inside this person's mortal body. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all represented inside this believer. This influence goes right into the conscious mind. Satan's over here going, but I'm not stupid. I'm evil, but I'm not stupid. I know what truth does. And to think that Satan knows what truth can do better than me messes with my mind. Think it through. Your average Christian has less of an understanding of what the truth can do than Satan does. He gets petrified by knowing what the truth can do in a person's life. So he scams and he starts coming up with this whatever thing he has to do to try to push his demonic vision onto this indwelt believer. And it's the indwelt believer's responsibility to go read the hand. I'm not going here. James said, Jesus' half-brother, chapter 4, he says, Submit therefore to God. Someone finish the verse for me. Okay, what if we put the emphasis on Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just name it, claim it, stab it, slab it in Jesus' name. Is he going anywhere? No. The only way this can happen is to submit therefore to God through the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, because Christ is in you. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Do you see the indweltness here? That actual verse in chapter 4 is just several verses away from the verse we preached on four weeks ago in regard to do you not or do you think that the scriptures speak for no purpose for God jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell within you. And then this verse pops up. This is all about the exchange life. Without question. Influence is coming in. Submitting therefore to God. Resisting the devil. These new sinful ideas, concepts, beliefs are not going to enter the mind for contemplation. Therefore, you have eternal vision because of the influence of Christ in you. Your subconscious mind, if you want to call it that, the stuff that gets filed away at nighttime, all that stuff that's in there, which is the trash, the old nature left behind. It's natural nature, dichotomists that are listening. It is the trash left behind by the old nature. And that stuff is settled into your mind. 
And that's why the scriptures say, do not call to mind former things or ponder things of the past. That statement is for the, for the sake of grabbing into that bucket, lifting up that sin, and letting it master you again. It's not to say you need to forget about your sins. Because if you forgot about your sin that you just committed, you'd think the next time you sinned, it was the first time you ever sinned. This is critical for victory. The soul, mind, willing, emotions, is renewed. The old man is dead. The spirit is regenerate, turned on, full on. Now you have the generated spirit walking, the generated man who is spirit walking after the spirit, and that's found in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. I wish we could leave it there, but we can't. This is spiritual man, diagram REP-100-B. Spiritual man walking after, not in. In is an identity statement. Unsaved people, their identity is Satan. Christians, their identity is Christ. So you're walking after satanic ideas. Okay? Now, spiritual man walking after the flesh. Same thing over here with Satan in the world. He's using demonic visions, graven imagery... The person doesn't have their hand up. They're not guarding demonic doctrines. And it's coming in. He's placing these little ideas and concepts. And it's clouding the vision of Christ in you. Because the broken fellowship factor is in place. This stuff starts mauling around through in the day. Making decisions upon this, these ideas and concepts that are ultimately going to provoke the trash left behind by the old nature and it will consume the man in his daily living. Before I move on, I want to make sure that you guys don't have questions about this diagram. The other two are common sense for most people. But this is when it gets dicey. This clouded vision thing versus demonic vision Versus clarity of vision. This diagram explains why indwelt Christians choose evil things. Okay there, the conclusion for the spiritual man walking after the flesh is the spirit that of Christ never changes. I don't care how many evil decisions you make. You are not going to change his mindset. He will not make new doctrines for you. The mind is set on the flesh. You see, there's actually sin in you that is not you. Did Paul not say that? He said in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, he came to realize that when he was sinning, it is not him who was sinning. Someone finish the verse. It was the sin that was in him. This is a clear statement of Paul understanding this whole issue of choosing to walk after the flesh. The will chooses the lies. Yes, these lies are coming through the ears, through the eyes, through all the senses. To get in there and start planting this graven imagery... And then when you fall asleep at night, it adds to the mix of sin that is in you that is not you. And the rest is history, as they say. Emotions are controlled by the flesh. You've got proof. You become passionate about this. And the body yields itself to the decision. The psychological area of our lives is, uh, is comprised of the mind, willing emotions... It takes the trinity of man's soul to form a world view. The whole mind, will, and emotions are needed to form a world view. 
Knowing this, Satan starts with what appears or appeals to the emotions or feelings. And once our emotions are aroused by the uh, projections of the enemy, our will adopts what makes us feel good and seems right. And once that happens, our minds confirm that this thing is truth. The enemy knows well that what our minds adopt as truth will soon become behavior. Satan also works from the bottom up or backward in function. One of the things, I don't think this has surprised anyone here, but before you can be a first level Satanist, you have to read the entire Bible backwards. Word for word. Why in the world would Satan put that kind of a requirement upon working to be a priest in the satanic church. I call that a duh. Anything that's backward of God's ordinances is satanic. That's how I find it, actually. Now let's take a look at, at the deception here. Satan works off of visions, worldviews, and imagery of the things of the earth. He defrauds us by getting us to view ourselves in self-abasement, and once this pattern starts to develop in our minds, we will worship these inflated, projected images, such as the worship of angels. That's kind of going around a little bit. When you see someone with a necklace with an angel on it, stop. I mean, if it's appropriate, stop and ask them about it. Because usually people who wear the earrings or the necklaces with angels, there's a story behind it. Their kids have seen an angel. They have seen an angel. They're making a statement that I am raising this angel above the presence of Jesus Christ. Idolatry. That's how it starts. False visions. Inflated dreams. All formed from the fleshly mind. The mind functioning in inflations will not submit itself to the head of the church, Jesus Christ, or as God-ordained leaders. Since true renewal and transformation is from God through Christ, this technique used by the enemy is certain to keep mankind from hearing and obeying the voice or the vision of Jesus Christ. Now that's simple to me. Now that simple truth I have to be reminded of often, but it is very simple. Here's the Hebrew. The open hand that plunders by cheating, chaos, and lies. If you remember those who have been part of the series for a while, that is the Hebrew definition of deception. The open hand that plunders, destroys, by cheating, chaos, and lies. And it works every time. Truth. Here's the facts. Any mind that does not have the mind of Christ living and functioning within them is hostile toward God. And any mind that is hostile toward God will choose to do evil things. Even if those things are acts of righteousness. Stolen from God, true. But even if those things are acts of righteousness. This is why Christ Jesus had to reconcile us in his fleshly body by becoming our flesh. I mean, scriptures say that Jesus became sin on our behalf. It is the same word for flesh. He became your flesh so that you would not have to deal with it. That's mind-bending. It's beyond mind-bending. It takes the Holy Spirit to comprehend that. Taking it to the cross and putting it to death, that is Galatians 2.20. For him to take your flesh and say, I am going to be your flesh. But only for a few moments. Goes to the cross co-crucifixion happens and that's why that verse is true for us co-crucifixion he became your flesh sin 
and dealt with it. This is how he, he, meaning Christ, then was able to present us before his Father blameless and beyond reproach. Although there is a bit of a condition to this truth, our part as indwell believers is to firmly continue in our faith, steadfast in our minds, so that we will not walk away from the hope of the new covenant of truth that Christ's mind and life is in us by way of the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in Colossians again, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaging in evil deeds, yet has, what's that word? Now, reconciled you to his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, which was necessary for the bride of Christ, because Christ has to marry a perfect bride. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all of the creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So, with that being said, we need to understand God designed the mind, period. Even though this might be a surprise to some, we do not think in words we think in what pictures please stay with me on this because the power punch on this conclusion will will transform your life this is critical in order for us to truly understand, looking at this verse, how was Paul such an incredible minister of the gospel that demons were afraid of this man? This is it. This is the reason. We don't think in words. Humanity found words to describe the picture. When I say cat, you have a picture of a cat in your mind, not a word. When I say any word that does not have a picture associated with, you will be confused. You will need a dictionary to define what that person is saying. If you can't walk through the rest of the park on that illustration when it comes to education and the tree of knowledge, you might be a little deceived. God always keeps it simple. Satan is a God of graven imagery, not graven words. The fruit being put in front of Eve is what the trouble spot was. Not the fancy words he was using to twist her little mind. Visual, five senses, is proof. That's how you destroy someone. This is something that Satan knows all more than mankind. His world is filled with graven imagery of the self-inflated projections of himself. His primary way of forming deeds of the flesh is through what we see. Focusing on seeing is believing. Have you ever talked to a so-called Christian or maybe even a non-Christian saying, you know, I'd like to really see that miracle I want to see that's a satanic statement nothing will be given to you as a gift unless it is given to you as faith but when you demand it's, the bible says for weak people demand signs and wonders duh you're basically saying I want the proof before I believe those people don't go to heaven. You have to have the faith of a child. You have to have a simple mind. You have to think in word pictures before you can get into the kingdom of God. If you are the type of person who's demanding proof, I pray in Jesus' name you are on your knees before you sleep tonight. Saying, God, make me as a child 
Make me a man, a woman of faith. Just enough faith that I can accept the fact that you are simple-minded. Satan has a complex mind because he's adding words that don't exist. That need dictionaries to define. That needs degrees to explain. clear example of this is when Moses had grown up, literally being called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He starts growing up. God starts ministering to him, going, that's not who you really are, bro. Who you really are is my son. You belong to me, the Hebrew people. And as we know, Moses gave up fortune, power, reputation, influence, everything for the sake of saying, yes, Father, this is who I am. I belong to you. I will put my trust in the God of Abraham. We're almost done. So hidden mysteries. Why is it that God seems to delight in the mysteries? In hiding things that the fleshly mind cannot understand? I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, seriously, think about this. Paul, Paul is actually telling us that the, these mystery things are actually hidden from a fleshly mind. Hidden. You don't get to see them. That means a natural man or a spiritual man walking after the flesh. They don't get to see them. They're hidden. Why would he do that, folks? So what if a fleshly mind could understand these mysteries? Well, the problem is, you two as indwell believers, you're answering the question as indwell believers. You're, you're too hopeful. You're too clear-minded. It isn't even that complicated. You see, God doesn't want to reveal the things of the mystery to a fleshly mind because the fleshly mind will use it against him. Not for him. If you read further in the scriptures of that Corinthian passage, what you're going to find is God saying this, for who knows the mind of God except for the spirit of God? For who knows the mind of man except for the spirit of the man? For God gave us them, meaning the people in front of us, and he does the searching of the hearts. And through spiritual thoughts, the spiritual words are born. Spiritual thoughts are these images, the vision of God. To these words that man seems to understand better. And these words transform this person who is listening to you. That's completely supernatural. Has nothing to do with the mind of man. So it also says in Luke 8.10, it says, And I, he, Jesus Christ, said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is a parable, so that seeking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The only people that are going to understand the mysteries of Christ in you are those who have Christ in them. This is out of the mouth of our Savior. And the others? Oh, it's a parable. It's a cute idea. i got to research that. i got to study that. i got to figure that out. What are you going to do? Hang out at the University of Tree of Knowledge and try to figure out something's never going to be given to you? How idiotic is that? It's the proof you're dead. You don't research Christ. You receive him to gain the knowledge of the holy. What have we done to you, Christ? God grant, granted the indwell believers to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but only by the release of the mind of Christ through his spiritual thoughts and words. Wisdom of God. Since there are only two types of wisdom, earthly and heavenly, demonic and godly, we need to embrace the reality of just how to tap into these mysteries of God, and that is through a release of the mind of Christ inside that vessel. 
This is what Paul was talking about when he said, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are, among, who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our, of, of our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would never have crucified our Lord. Anyone who crucifies another human is guilty of this. That connection, that leader will be judged for. And that is the truth and the reality of understanding the wisdom, the mystery that is God in us. The way these verses end in this chapter are a bit surprising. The mystery is something that cannot be seen, plain and simple. The wisdom of God is actually hidden in a mystery and held to his own bosom. He releases understanding of this great eternal wisdom only to those who are indwelt by his Son. Since Christ knows the mind of God and the Holy Spirit reveals the mind of Christ and that is done in and through the bride of Christ. All indwelt believers are granted a gateway and permission to have glimpses of the will and wisdom of our Father. And this is done by the Holy Spirit putting his scriptural thoughts in our minds, which is coming from the mind of Christ, resulting in the words being the scriptural or spiritual words formed in the mind of Christ by his Father, which are freely given to us, as the verse says, freely given to us through spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. It's a gift. It happens to be a lifestyle, a mysterious lifestyle that people hate. And you can't get around it. That is the kind of wisdom. That's the kind of tapping into the mind of Christ I want to be around. See what I'm saying? That's fellowship of the saints. Not this other crap that's floating around the world. That we call fellowship which ultimately puts a knife in your back. And this is not new. Paul, Peter, all the rest of them had to suffer with this same lesson. It's a very special world, this exchanged life. Very special. Because I know that I know the truth that will set me free. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Period. This is it. And we must embrace it. We must share it. We must get it out there. That any effort that is not Christ in them doing it through them is supporting satanic endeavors. Plain and simple. Send the emails. I'm ready for them. Because that's the facts. That's the truth that will set us free. Father, we thank you for the power and authority of your word which is you. You said you were the word. God, first you said you were the word. And Jesus, you said you became the word. Then you said you put that word inside of us through representation of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I, I, I know that I know it's going to take a special mystery, a special mind to understand what we just asked for. But God, I know that there's probably some people out there who do not have you inside their mortal beings. Father, if you are leading them to confession of their sins, confession, God, of, of an unrighteous natural man's way of living that is completely submitted to Satan and his design, if you are leading that person to salvation, Please, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, pour your thoughts inside that person to even know how to pray a salvation prayer. May they repent, empty out of the natural man. Decide today that they can too be co-crucified with Jesus Christ, your son. 
And then your son will put the Holy Spirit inside their mortal beings. And they can be discipled in Christ under the leadership of the church. Through your son. I pray this for them, Father, no matter what country they're in. No matter what tribe they're in. No matter what tent they're in. Father, I pray this upon them in Jesus' holy name. May there be a revival from those people, O oh God, that have received your spirit today. In Jesus' name. I stand against and hold my hand up against those rebels that will come against them. Father, I pray you will give them courage and an understanding, a rich understanding of the mystery that is in them. To protect them. Father, we stand against the liars of this world and receive the truth sayers in Jesus' name. Amen. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.